morning, everybody. Please turn to Psalm 42. And while you're there, just keep your thumb on 43, because I believe I might read them both. Because although counted as two psalms, Psalm 42 and 43 are, in fact, uh, one single prayer. And uh, let me just read those to you now. And it's the start of book two of Psalms too. You might see that if you've got it. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with, joy, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon and from Mount Mizraim. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. 43, vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against, all unfaithful na against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh God, thank you for your word. You're the God who has the words of eternal life. And we're here this morning to hear those words and feast on them. So open our ears, our eyes and our hearts and give us that thirst that the psalmist speaks about. Give us ears to hear, Lord. May you remove everything and anything that would distract us from our time together with you. So meet us, lead us. Lord, please have your way. Yours is the perfect way. So have your way in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. It's sometimes known as the common cold of mental disorders mainly because of the fact that it's just so widespread. 
It's been, the, it's been called the leading global disability by the World Health Organization. Each of us has gone, sorry, each of us has a one in 10 chance of becoming affected and almost all have had a regular encounter with its mildest forms. It can strike any age group. It is twice more likely to occur in women than in men, three times more prevalent in higher socioeconomic groups of people than in any other group. It is a complex disorder and the experts don't seem to be able to agree on its cause. What am I referring to? You've got toothache, yes. What am I referring to? Depression. Depression. According to Beyond Blue, a great resource, I think, three million Australians are living with anxiety or depression. There are 300 million estimated suffering depression worldwide at any one time. Also a statistic from the World Health Organization, and that was back in 2015. And I think it's increasing. I believe it's also helpful to understand that being a Christian does not exempt or immune us, you or me, from depression. Some seem to think so. I sort of heard that fluttering around sometime. Christians, no, don't get depressed. We're spiritual. How can you be depressed? Ever had anybody say that to you? It has touched my life on many occasions. Well, I shouldn't say many, but at various times throughout my life. And maybe another day for the full story on that. But interestingly, did you know that there are many, many biblical examples of God's people showing clear and obvious signs of depression? Did you know that? Just read it. The psalmist, for example. What's going on in the life and the mind, the heart of a man who's writing these things? My tears have been my food day and night. Why are you so downcast? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Just let me give you a few, few more examples. There are many, just a few. Let me work through these fairly quickly. The prophet Jeremiah, justly called the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Listen to what he says. Believe that he was the one who wrote Lamentations. He says this, Lamentations 3, 19 to 20. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. What's going on in the life of a person who writes this? Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, <laughs> says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The book of Job is full of a man's struggle, I believe, with depression. This is what Job says, chapter 30, 16 to 17. And now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. I cry out to you, O oh God, but you do not answer. How many of you have felt like that? How many of you had those times in your life where you're saying, God, where are you? The Apostle Paul. Did he ever experience times of depression? Look at the words he uses, for example, in 2 Corinthians 1.8. 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Here's an interesting one. What about the Lord Jesus himself? While in the Garden of Gethsemane, did he experience depression? I'm going to say I reckon he did, big time. Listen to what Matthew says as he describes what Jesus said. Matthew 26, 37, 38, NIV. It says, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now look at what it says in the Amplified Version. Same passage, Amplified Version says this. He began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed then he said to them my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I'm almost dying of sorrow Isaiah described Jesus in Isaiah 53 verse 3 as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief it's interesting that because when you start putting Jesus in this picture you've got to say this one thing's for sure then that if we associate the Lord Jesus with depression, then clearly this means that not all depression is a result of our own sin. The depression that Jesus endured was not the result of any imperfection or flaw in his own character. I mean, we know he was the sinless, spotless son of God. He was perfect in every way. There was no defects in his character. He did not have a dysfunctional or damaged personality that was prone to depression like we can be. But certainly without doubt, Jesus experienced what he did experience was to do with the full realisation that he would bear the sin, the sorrow, the pain of the world. That not only would he bear our sin and our shame and our sorrow and the sickness and everything else, the rottenness of sin, not only would he bear that, but that he therefore would bear the rejection and the judgment of the Father for our sakes. So when Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he knew exactly what it was going to cost to bear the weight of the cross for our redemption. And the amazing thing is, even though he fully realised what it was going to cost him, he yet he was more than willing to do that for us. What a saviour. What a saviour. That he should do that for you and me. For you and me, there's a number of factors in our lives that can trigger off responses which can lead to depression. And let me briefly mention some of these to us today. They're not all inclusive, but let me just mention some of those things. These are, these are triggers that can respond, that, can, that, that trigger off these responses which can lead us to depression. First of all, a major loss, a major loss in our life, such as death, such as a death of a loved one, a divorce, you know, a lost job or a demotion, health problems, financial crises, disasters, things like terrorist attacks, you think the communities that suffer these things, there'd be a lot of people amongst them that are depressed about all that. 
a major life change in family, in the workplace. You know, you think you get something organised, you think you've, you've kind of met that particular target, then someone shifts the goalposts on you. You know that kind of a feeling? So these kinds of things do cause stress and they can lead to depression. What about moving house? You might think, well, that's no big deal, but there is a big deal about it. I've talked to somebody once and they'd been in this house for over 40 years and the thought of moving, which they had to do, became very stressful for them because they were just full of beautiful memories, very special memories about that house. And to move was very stressing, possibly depressing for them. Trauma to our own self-image. You know, and an emotionally traumatic event such as a breakup in a relationship can be devastating to our own self-image. Feel, feelings of, of being incompetent, feelings of, of, of low self-worth. All these things can lead a person to depression. Anger. Someone has said that, that it's common to think of depression as a form of anger turned inward. It makes a lot of sense to me. And then, of course, you've got things like the genetic biological factors, things such as brain chemistry out of balance, things not going right up here. Your body's out of balance. Did you know, men, thousands of women experience depression during their monthly cycles. During it, it's called PMT. Do you know that, guys? And, and of course, that's actually the answer to the question as to why God invented the shed for men is that during that time you need to get into your shed do something positive there might be good to get out of the house for that time you might even have to sleep in the shed anyway I won't go any more with that this one's a little bit more serious it can be a satanic attack let's not rule that one out that can be a cause of depression we need to be prayerfully involved, much wisdom, saying, Lord, what's going on here? We need wisdom. We certainly need discernment. You don't just kind of brand every depression as being satanic. But it certainly can be. It's certainly one of Satan's strategies against Christians to cripple us with discouragement and depression. And let me tell you, and I probably don't need to, it is a very effective weapon or an effective tool that Satan uses. If he can discourage you and cause you to dip into depression, he's got you. And it so easily happens to us. That's why you and I, brothers and sisters, need to be on our guard about what we say and what we do with each other. Because being off guard, being careless in our remarks can actually hurt one another. And Satan just says, come on, come on, a bit more now, a bit more. Come on, tell them a bit more about how useless they are. Tell them about what's going on. Give them all the negative stuff. It's one of his tools. And we, you and I have to be alert, very alert, and not fall into that trap. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he's a coward because he'll pick on the weakest of us at times. If you're strong in the things of God, you'll still have a go at you for sure, but you've got a bit more resistance there. So let's look out for one another about these satanic attacks that hit us that want to cripple us with discouragement and depression.
So, okay. So how do we both prevent and how do we manage depression? So briefly, I want to roll through this because there's a few things I'd like to say about this. Um, but I want to suggest some principles or I want to suggest some points that I believe that we can find in God's word that are helpful in the prevention and the management of depression. I have also, as well as my own personal experiences, and I have experienced some of this stuff, so I'm speaking out of that, but also I want to tell you that, um, uh, that I've also consulted some other very helpful references, which I've already mentioned some of those already, and I want to mention those along the way so that you can check them out yourself. And I also want to say this is not meant to be a quick fix. That after you've heard this, it's going to you know, fix all your problems. It's going to heal anything to do with depression in your life. No, I'm not saying that, but we do need to listen to what God's saying to us. Nor am I suggesting to you, hear this loud and clear, that you stop any medication that you're on. All right? I'm not going down that track. If you're on medication for depression, then you stay on it until the doctor tells you to go off it. You work with him on that. But I do believe, as I said, I do believe very strongly that we need to listen to what the Lord is saying to us personally as we look into his word, as we look at some of these characters, for example, but certainly look into his word and look at personally how we can deal with this thing called depression. So let me have a look. Let's have a look at some of these principles. The first thing is this. I want to suggest this. Determine to put your hope in God. Did you hear what the psalmist said to us? Why are you downcast, my soul? Why, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. There it is. For I will yet praise him. He may not feel like doing that then. And whether you feel like it or not, we need to be doing that anyway. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. I love Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding how can we understand the mind of an infinite God just work on that one so don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight one writer has said this trustfulness is based on confidence in God confidence in God whose ways I do not understand if I did well there'd be no need for trust because I understand exactly what's going on when you don't understand that's when you walk by faith and not by sight and most times we will not understand what God's doing one what someone else said I would rather walk with God in the dark than go alone in the light so how important it is to understand that God can be trusted in all circumstances. Hard to do, easy to say, hard to do, but it's possible. That's what he wants us to do, to trust him in all circumstances, even in those dark places that we sometimes find ourselves in. Secondly, meditate on God's word. Fill your minds let him wash over you in his word. Let him fill you with his spirit. Let him saturate your mind with the beautiful things of Jesus. Allow your minds to be filled with good things from the Lord. 
Philippians 4, 8 and 9 in the King James Version says this, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there is any praise, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on them. Don't just think about them, not just flashing thoughts, but let your mind dwell on those things. I'm sure you've heard of the G-I-G-O principle, which is simply garbage in, garbage out. And of course, the reality is if we allow garbage into our mind, then that's often what will come out of our mouth and what will be in our life. But when you meditate on God's word, as Paul said in Philippians 4, and then do as he says in Romans 1 and 12, 2, where he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When we do these things, it won't be garbage in, garbage out. It'll be goodness in and goodness out. That's what we want. That's what we want. Thirdly, realise that there will be times of discouragement. Even though that lovely old hymn says, we should never be discouraged. Even though it says those words, and they're beautiful words, the reality is that there will be times when we simply are discouraged. Discouragements are part of living in this world, I believe. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And I believe that trouble also includes discouragements. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. But listen, he says, but take heart or take courage. I have overcome the world. <coughs> Discouragements do come our way. But then we also, as I think it was the same hymn writer who says, take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what we need to do. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And then trust that God can handle it. And I believe that when we do these kinds of things, it will help, it will help to prevent depression from settling in and setting in. Remember how the Lord said to Joshua, I just love how, the, how God knows us so deeply, he knows us so intimately. He knew Joshua. He knew exactly what Joshua was facing. He knew exactly how Joshua was feeling and what Joshua would face in the future. And so God gives him this command. And it is a command. Look what he says in Joshua 1.9, some of our favourite verses. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? He will be with you. I'm going to say something about that later on. But he, will be, he is with you in every circumstance, every situation. He's with you wherever you go. Fourthly, fourthly, expel anger. Expel anger. Another writer said, anger is industrial strength, toxic slug. I think I may have said this before. It's pretty strong words, isn't it? Anger is industrial strength, toxic sludge. It has to be flushed out of your system daily or it will build up corrosive deposits in your soul. Fairly descriptive, isn't it? <clears throat> but I think it's pretty true. <clears throat> in the Complete Life Encyclopedia, which is a Christian publication of the Minerith Meyer New Life Clinics in the USA, and I've got that book at home, it's a fantastic resource. 
It's a Christian publication. The doctors say in this about anger, they say the single most important factor in whether or not you will develop major depression is the choice you make in responding to anger. How does that sound? I reckon that sounds pretty true to me. And it backs up in the scripture. The Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 26, 27, in your anger. So it's not saying don't be angry. Well, you need to be angry about certain things and it's justifiable. Most times it's not. But he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And it's interesting, he says in verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. Because when we are angry and it's inspired by our own sinful selfishness, our own sinful hurtfulness, when it is, we are opening the door for the devil to put his foot in. Don't give him a foothold. And you won't give him a foothold if you expel it and do what God says. Anger that is not expelled from us is soon turned inward where it does become depression. And I think as this writer says, it is toxic and it is corrosive to our spirit, to our soul. It'll make you sick if you allow anger to reside in your heart. Fifthly, I think I'm doing all right. Fifthly, time. And I believe this is the most powerful and effective way to expel anger from your life, is learn to forgive. Learn to forgive. And by the way, learn to forgive the other person, but also learn to forgive yourself as well. It is a powerful, effective way to expel anger from your life. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I know I've talked about this before. It just seems to be coming up. Can I ask you, brother or sister in Christ today, have you been forgiven of your sin? Have you? Some of you are not sure. If you're a Christian here today and you love Jesus, your sin has been forgiven. The slate in which all of your dirty deeds were ever written has all been wiped clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins, my sins and my iniquities have been removed from as far as east is from the west. So if your sins have been forgiven, then can't you forgive the sins of others? This is what God is saying. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so my dear friend this morning here, choose to forgive, choose to forgive. And I do mean this, choose to forgive yourself. Because if you're in Christ today, God has forgiven you. So why are you not forgiving yourself? 1 John 1 9, write that down, written for Christians. 1 John 1 9. Number six. Develop true intimacy with family and friends. Develop true intimacy with family and friends. We need to invest time with family and friends. 
I don't know. I think in this modern age, busyness is a curse <coughs> on society. Because I think it keeps us from this stuff. But we do need to invest time with family and friends. It's so important, to, it's so important not to neglect those significant relationships that we have. Again, in this complete life encyclopedia, it says this, true intimacy with your family and friends is a key factor in preventing depression. Since depression is often precipitated by problems and conflicts in, most, in our most important relationships. And it's sad, isn't it? Because, well, well sadly, often the ones that, that we love are the ones that often get hurt in these relationships. And isolation. Isolation is a factor that breeds depression. And the hard thing is that when you are depressed, you don't really want to be around anybody. And it's probably when we do need to be around people. It's no wonder the scriptures say things like this to us in Hebrews 10.25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's not forsake meeting together, foster these relationships, spend time with each other. We need to do that to grow and develop these relationships, to grow and develop intimacy, not superficiality, but intimacy. We need that in our relationships. This one's a bit different. Number seven, learn to laugh. Here's a question. When did you last have a decent laugh? Oh, what? But I'm a Christian. We don't laugh. It's unspiritual to be a Christian and laugh. I'm sorry. I'm probably over the top with that. But fair income, there are people I think that feel that way. I had someone say to me something. If you're a serious Christian, you're laughing? No, that's kind of no. You just don't go there with that. Like, what is wrong with you? The Complete Life Encyclopedia, it's a great reference. Laughter is a natural healer. It relaxes us and releases brain chemicals called endorphins, which are released during laughter. These endorphins actually help to improve our mood and decrease our tendency towards depression. Isn't that interesting? I'm hearing more and more about laughter in terms of dealing with this whole issue of stress and depression that so many of us are dealing with in our lives today. Isn't it interesting? Even Job, when Job was depressed, one of his friends, when they did actually say something helpful and sensible to him, said to him of God these words, Job chapter 8, verse 21. He says, he, speaking of God, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. So why did God create us with the ability to laugh? Probably so he would laugh. Probably so he would and could laugh. And I will say this obviously. Obviously, you need to choose what and when it's appropriate to laugh. Of course, use a bit of God-given, sanctified common sense as to when you laugh and what you laugh at. All right, that's a given. 
but God can help you to laugh. I'm being a bit practical here. I hope it's helpful. Seek out people who will make you laugh. Seek out those things. I don't know, a funny movie that's actually clean, that's decent humour. Seek out these things where you need to laugh. Why do you think God gave some people a sense of humour? If you haven't got one, then find a friend that does have. It'll be good for you. <laughs> Number eight. Number eight is another one that I'm hearing more and more about is regular exercise. I'm going to say it briefly. And it has similar benefits to laughter. And I said, as I said before, it seems to be more and more written about this articles. There's an article from Black Dog Institute, blackdog.org.au. By the way, you know probably, Black Dog's another name for depression. Blackdoginstitute.org.au. Listen to what they say. Numerous studies have shown that people who exercise regularly experience fewer symptoms of depression and anxiety than those who do not exercise regularly. Research suggests that regular exercise may increase the level of brain serotonin, a neurotransmitter involved in regulating mood, sleep, libido, appetite and other functions. Exercise helps to release this stuff. Exercise, regular exercise helps to do this. I'm not talking about becoming fanatical with it. I'm not talking about becoming addictive to exercise, because you can be. But I'm talking about regular, proper, normal, whatever that is, exercise. And of course, as best we can, we do need to take care of the body that God has given us. After all, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Number nine, again, maybe not a popular one, but so very important we put this in here, practical, seek professional help. Seek professional help. And there are some people who are reluctant to do that, particularly if you're Christian. But I encourage us not to put off getting this kind of help when you know it's time to get this kind of help. And your loved ones are saying you do need to see somebody then you seek out that professional help. Isn't it interesting that Jesus made reference to doctors when he said in, in, in Matthew chapter 12, sorry, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 12, when he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. There he's making reference to doctors even in his day. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So God still uses doctors today as he did back then. And he uses medical doctors and he uses mental health doctors, people. For us, God uses them. That's number nine. Number 10, this is the last one. Number 10. Look ahead with hope. Easy to say, if you're in depression, it's hard to do. But let me say it to you again, because God helps you to get there. Look ahead with hope hope in God it's what the psalmist says why my soul are you downcast why are you so disturbed within me that's because that's how it was answer put your hope in God for I will yet praise him my saviour and my God I love what Psalm 30 verse 5 says weeping may remain for a night and it may be a long night, brothers and sisters. I'm not saying it won't be. Weeping may last for a night, but listen to what happens. But rejoicing comes in the morning. 
There's a new day coming. Depression does not have to be the label that you wear. I don't know whether you've done this. It was a long time ago that Rosemary and I did this, but you, when you drive through Canunga and you go up the mountain to the other side down towards the Gold Coast, on the right-hand side as you go up the hill, you'll come to this place where you can stop the car and walk down to an old disused railway tunnel. Have you been there? Have you been there? Is it still there? Haven't done it for a long time, but I remember doing this some years ago. Um, and I can remember, distinctly remember, a bit like this one here on the picture, when I started walking through this tunnel, I've got to tell you, I became surprised, if not even slightly alarmed, at how dark it was in the middle of that tunnel. And I didn't take a torch, we didn't think about any of that, no mobile phone, I didn't have that but with a light on it. But when I started to walk through this, I got about the middle of this place, it was pitch black. It was very, very dark. It was rough underfoot. It was damp. It was musty. It was a very unpleasant place to be. I could not even see my feet. And it wasn't until I looked up and looked ahead that I could see that there was in fact daylight at the other end, that there was in fact trees. There were signs of life at the other end. And so you kind of fix your eyes on that light, if you like, on the, on the fact that there's an end to this and you keep walking through. You kept going. And so we did. And this is how it is, that as I've experienced myself, I'm not ashamed to say that, is how it is with depression. That you can be in a very dark place and I wasn't a very dark place even to the point of sitting down and planning my own suicide. That's how serious it was for me. And it was serious for my family. But when you're in the middle, it's like that tunnel. It is dark. It's rough. It's gloomy. And you can't see where you're walking. And you might not even think there's an end to this. But when you lift up your eyes... Psalm 121 that Charlie read this morning. What does it say? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When you lift up your eyes and you look ahead with the hope that God gives you, you will see daylight. You will see that there is life at the other end and you'll walk toward it. Keep on walking toward it and you'll soon discover that you have walked through it. And the amazing thing is, and this is where it's been very humbling for me, and perhaps for some of you, the amazing thing is, the beautiful thing is, you realise that Jesus has walked beside you all the way. He has been with you, whether you've known it or not, he's had his hand on you, he's walked with you through that period of time, that dark place. And it's simply because he's promised, I am with you always, even till the very end of the world. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Amen? Hey, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your message this morning. I know it's been long. It may have been hard, Lord, for some of us, but 
Father, I just felt it's important that you wanted to speak to us about this topic today. Lord, please take your word and make it powerful and real in our, all of our lives. Help us to do as the psalmist says. Because there's going to be times when we are downcast, Lord. There are times when we are very disturbed. And Father, it's in those times that you tap us on the shoulder and you want us to realise, I'm with you. I'm with you. There's never a place you can go where I'm not there with you. Oh, Father, we thank you for that glorious comforting truth and I pray your blessing over all of my brothers and sisters here this morning particularly for those who are struggling with this and for those family members who are dealing with this Father help us all to pray for another, to encourage and build one another up help us to put our hope in God because we will yet praise him you're the God of hope and we thank you for turning hopelessness into that glorious hope filled presence of yourself in our lives thank you lord jesus we commit ourselves to you and we pray that you help us to be equipped perhaps armed a bit better to deal with these things in our lives we pray in jesus name amen